4: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham as we reach the end of yet another eventful week here in the dangerous world of British politics. In the last 24 hours we've learned several new things. The next Prime Minister of this country will be a man. More than likely it'll be Boris Johnson who took the lion's share of the Tory MP's vote yesterday and also more than likely something very bad happened between Rory Stewart and Bojo that Rory can't seem to get over. He seems to have become very bitter and twisted uh, about his former old Etonian mate and he's already threatening to bring him down and Boris, it's not even in number 10 yet we've also learned that Chucker promise uh, isn't worth the paper it is written on he's already said i wouldn't be caught dead in a yellow rosette and the lib dems can't be trusted guess what He's just joined the Lib Dems. Coming up, we've got Katie Perrier coming in to tell us how to prepare for a Boris Premiership. She, of course, worked with him uh, when he was Mayor of London. And we'll be joined by Boris supporter and Tory MP Andrew Percy very shortly. 0344 499 1000. Are you prepared for a Boris Johnson Prime Ministership? Because it looks very much, unless there's something hidden uh, in the small print, that that is what we're going to be faced with come uh, July. 0344 499 1000. Later on, we'll be asking why two years on from the tragedy of Grenfell, the fire safety industry is still not fit for purpose, and hundreds of lives are still at risk in Britain's high rises. And it's Friday, so we've got a special edition of the Perrier Awards, where I'm going head to head with John Nicholson, who was sitting in for me earlier this week. And many of you, I know, enjoyed that immensely. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So the papers are full of it, aren't they? Just for a change. Uh, Boris Johnson absolutely smashed the Tory MP's vote yesterday, getting way more over 100 than anybody ever thought that he would. Rory Stewart did a little bit better than everybody thought as well. They thought he might be crashing out and it might be going down to six. Uh, members left to be voted for in the second ballot but he's still there uh we've got matt hancock still in there we've lost the two women esther mcveigh and andrea ledsam and of course that bloke harper that nobody'd ever heard of has disappeared as well i don't think anybody's going to be crying any spilt milk over that but let's talk to andrew percy conservative mp uh for brig and ghoul because he's a boris johnson supporter and we have to now find out i guess what happens next andrew very good morning to you welcome Good morning. Thank you very much indeed. Now, the front page of The Sun, uh, rather uh, sort of provocatively, says, we've all been screwed by Boris. And there's pictures of Sajid Javid, Michael Gove, Jeremy Hunt and Rory Stewart. Um, He really does seem to have triumphed yesterday in a way that nobody quite expected.
5: Yeah, I think he did much better than expected. He had, I think, 86 MPs declared for him and ended up with 114 votes, which, of course, if he maintains that, it guarantees him into the final. So, yeah, he did a lot better than expected, which I think demonstrates really how... He is getting support from a broad range across the party, including people like me who are well and truly in the centre of, uh, of politics.
4: Yeah, so when you say you're in the centre of politics, the one big question that everybody's going to ask you, of course, is where are you uh, on the Brexit front? Because that's where all the battles are going to be fought, isn't it, over the next few weeks and months coming up to October the 31st? Because Boris has said we must leave by October the 31st. He doesn't mind if we leave with no deal. What, what do you say about that?
5: Well, I campaigned for Brexit. Uh, My constituents voted in support of Brexit by a margin of about 70%. um, But I voted for the Prime Minister's deal three times because I do think we should leave on a deal, which is actually the same view as Boris. But I also believe that you can't take no deal off the table because it's pretty stupid to go back to... Um, uh, the people you're negotiating with and say, oh, but by the way, we're going to hand you all of the cards because we're definitely not going to leave without a deal. I mean, that would just be madness. Uh, But I also think we have to leave on October the 31st. Now, the European Union has messed us around. Uh, They haven't really treated us with respect. I mean, I voted for the deal even though I thought it was uh, imperfect in many ways. But, you know, as Boris said at his launch, he doesn't want us to leave without a deal and nobody um, would want us to leave without a deal. Um, But we have to be prepared to do that if the other side of this aren't going to treat us with respect.
4: But he's also said, has he not, that if, in fact, we get to the point of no return, i.e. October the 31st, and we have not not then got a deal, whether we've got a deal that, that he likes or that Parliament doesn't like or whatever, but if we effectively have no deal, then he will leave without one.
5: Uh, I, I mean, he has said that we should leave on October the 31st if we're not going to be, uh, I said, treated with respect and given a proper uh, deal. We have to keep that on the table, but he's also repeatedly said that is not his preferred outcome and shouldn't be anybody's preferred uh, outcome. So, you know, it isn't mine, but it is, I think, something we have to be prepared for because but so you can't you can't you can't in a negotiation take walking away from that negotiation off the table, or else you give the other side all of the all of the cards in this game. So, you know, but he's been really clear; he wants us to leave with a deal, and that's the position I have. And
4: what about um, whether that leaves him vulnerable to um, a, a candidate who might be able to win over more Tory MPs in the second ballot? Because clearly, I suppose what you're going to do now is look for those who have uh, dropped out of the race. Whether Boris gets those votes or whether they go to somebody else you know, the dynamic can change quite dramatically in the second ballot, can't it?
5: Well, of course it can. I mean, you know, the, uh, I think it was um, the last two leadership contests, uh, we've had oh, certainly the one with David Cameron on, and I think the one before that, um, you know, the person who was the front-runner in the first ballot ended up uh, not winning. So, look, and as one thing politics has taught us at the moment is you can't predict uh, anything, really, with any confidence. Well, not at the moment, but, you can't, no. <laughs> no absolutely it not. It used to be um, a bit easier than this. It used to be a bit easier than this to predict it. Well, yeah, I mean, but that's just seems to be where we are and everything at the moment, doesn't it? It does, (laughs) rather, yeah. No, but I mean, it's an important
4: point, I think, Andrew, only because Rory Stewart um, is an interesting sort of um, unknown, if you like, in this particular battle, because he's trying his best when he's on radio and television not to kind of... uh, personally insult Boris Johnson, but he's clearly very unhappy about Boris Johnson being Prime Minister. He's already said that he would not serve in his administration. Yesterday he said that if Boris Johnson tried to suspend Parliament, that he and his colleagues would go across the road to the Methodist Hall and hold their own session and bring him down. I mean, these are not words from someone who's a close friend and colleague.
5: Well, I don't think he is, trying very hard not to insult Boris or other candidates, I think he's going out of his way I think he's, I mean Rory's just acting in the most bizarre uh, manner, I think it's one of those you know, he's, he's gone around, done these um, uh, somewhat bizarre but also quite interesting walks Around different parts of the country, uh, and uh, got some coverage in the media for that. And it's almost as if you know he thinks he's become a bit of a thing. Uh, I think most colleagues, people like me, are looking at it with you know thinking, well, this is just all a bit odd because he's actually spending most of his time going around. Trying to knock lumps out of um, uh, out of other conservatives, yeah. um, so I just think he's behaving in the most bizarre way for somebody who's supposed to be really very intelligent and a diplomat and very thoughtful and all the rest of it. Um, I think he's behaving fairly base, actually. I mean, his stuff yesterday on TV was just bizarre, saying that yeah. you know we'll march over to Methodist Central Hall right. and bring down the government. I just thought this is weird stuff. I'm afraid to say. It's certainly not going to go down well with my constituents no. in Yorkshire.
4: He's also a bit of uh, um, I'm pretending to. Be be a bit of an outsider and in fact he's been in the cabinet for quite some time he was a supporter of Theresa May his answer to all of this is to more or less represent Theresa May's uh, bill which has already been rejected uh, three or four times.
5: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, the, I mean, the conclusion I had come to was just that this, you know, the deal the Prime Minister has negotiated, which should have gone through, and I wish MPs had voted a different way, um, is not going to go through. There clearly isn't a majority for it, despite the fact we've tried three times to get it through. Um, so I don't really know what his, um, his policy is uh, on Brexit. I mean, he was a Remainer, of course, and, yeah. um, a very uh, strong one. So uh, I don't really know where he would take us. But as I say I just believe he's behaving in quite a bizarre right. manner in the way he's treating uh, other candidates. and and, uh, and you know, Sometimes people get a bit of coverage and then sort of buy into their own publicity. He's not the first politician I've seen that in, and I think that's what seems to be happening with Rory at the moment. But at yeah. the end of the day, look, he's going out, he's having conversations with the public, he's an important voice in Conservative politics, and I hope he kind of reigns it in a bit for these uh, next round or two and plays a part in the next government, whoever leads it.
4: And what are you seeing and hearing about the likelihood of a sort of a, a stop Boris candidate, which may not be Rory Stewart, uh, because it would seem to me that there are still the dregs of, of sort of, shall we say, um, regret about Boris Johnson in the parliamentary party. Obviously, it's no longer what it used to be, which was what we were told was, uh, you know, he'll never, he, if he gets on the ballot, he'll win, but he may not get on the ballot because he's not very popular in Westminster. I mean, that is, image has obviously been blown out of the water. But there will be those who will want to gang up on him, won't there?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the case uh, whoever is the front-runner in any leadership contest. I mean, we had it with David Davis when he was the... Uh, you know, came first I think, in thinking the ballot um, uh, uh, in the eventual leader that brought David Cameron to power. So there is always going to be an attempt by other candidates to kind of gang up on the uh, leader, uh, on the leading candidate. I think that's just inevitable. Um, but I think what it has proven though, is, as you stated, that you know, for for weeks, various elements of the press have been writing that, that you know Boris Johnson is deeply unpopular in the parliamentary party, has little, you know, his challenge will be getting onto the ballot, and yet here we are in the, in the first round where there are ten candidates standing and the potential for you know, votes to be split all over the place. He secured more than enough votes to already guarantee him a place uh, if he continues to receive this number of votes and doesn't, doesn't need to grow anymore to get on the ballot. So I think what it has proven is that a lot of that stuff that's been written is just frankly nonsense. But then a lot is these days. I mean, the stuff I read about what colleagues think and what's going on in Parliament, uh, the stuff I've been involved in, and which is so far removed from the reality of stuff, it's Uh, say, quite odd.
4: Well, thank goodness you're here to set the record straight then, because we've got 30 votes up for grabs, basically, between Esther McVeigh, Mark Harper and Andrea Leadsom. Would you expect all of those to go to one particular candidate? And if so, uh, who would that be?
5: I think if you look at the voters, people who backed Esther McVeigh and Andrea Leadsom, particularly, I think, were uh, generally uh, people who campaigned for Brexit and probably the sort of pool in which Boris can fish very successfully. Uh, some of them may go to Rob, or a couple to go. Um, you know, Mark Harper received, I think, 10 votes. Yeah. Uh, I know of a couple of the people who backed him have already said to me privately they're going to vote for Boris. So I would think that you know the lion's share of those three uh, voters who've dropped out would probably go to Boris in the next round. But then you've got to make sure that you keep everybody who has voted with you. I mean, the problem is, you know, th- this is an electorate that, you know, is you know, very political for obvious reasons. Mm. Uh, and I, you know, people do try and vote tactically sometimes. Um, but, you know, I would have thought of those who've dropped out um, who, who, were, who were eliminated yesterday, certainly Boris would get the lion's share of those, I would think.
4: Yes, and I mean, you're looking at Dominic Raab, he needs six votes and to keep all the ones that he's already got in order to continue through the second ballot. Sajid Javid needs another 10. Uh, Matt Hancock needs another 13. And Rory Stewart uh, needs about another 14. So um, there's not enough out there unless a lot of people change their minds.
5: No, I think that's true, and I think with Dominic Raab, his ability to grow much further is, 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 is limited. I mean, I think he, uh, you know, he, he did much worse than I think a lot of people were expecting, and you know, clearly he, is, he has got no chance of progressing in this, uh, in this leadership campaign, and nor probably does uh, Matt Hancock. So you know, there are another 40 votes odd between those two, which I think uh, will be up for grabs too.
4: And what does it mean for the Tory party beyond the second ballot which is happening on tuesday because once that happens there's clearly going to have to be some kind of healing process isn't there and boris it seems to me if he does become prime minister and leader is not the kind of guy that suffers fools gladly he's not the kind of guy that forgives and forgets will there be blood on the carpet
5: um well i hope he isn't somebody who suffers fools gladly because um uh, i think that would be an advantage uh, as prime minister but actually i have to say to him Uh, I do think he is somebody who 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 can take um, people uh, on board with him who perhaps haven't necessarily uh, always um, uh, been that pleasant about. I mean, myself included. I have to say, I've said some pretty unpleasant things about those who have voted against the prime minister's deal and prevented us uh, leaving um, under that deal. Mm. Uh, And I've been, you know, one of the reasons I chose to back Boris um, is because when I went to see him. I had a a good half-hour sit-down with him and I spent 15 minutes of that Saying to him, well, these are some of the things I've said about people who've taken your position, and um, uh, you know, I'm pretty peeved off that we've ended up in the position we're in because of the voting record mm. uh, of people. And in fairness, he took that all on the chin, um, and you know, as uh, so I thought, you know, his explanation to me on that and how we move forward was one which got me on side. So I think he, I think he is open to um, trying to bring people on board and broaden um, his own base and appeal. So. You know, I think he, he has a personality, as everybody knows, <laughs> a very, very big personality, but I think he also has a personality that can take quite a lot of criticism because i had a lot thrown at, at him over the years. So he's certainly uh, fairly thick-skinned and, I think, fairly forgiving. I think that's for the, all for the good. Yeah. Well, it's all
4: for the good if it's true, but, of course, he's now uh, being asked to appear in a debate and it's not clear whether he's going to do it. And if he's such a big personality and if he's such a man with such a thick skin and he doesn't care about criticism, why is he running away from having a debate?
5: Well, I mean, I think oh, the—I mean—I don't know where, we, where we're at on this debate issue, and uh, I don't know what the format would be, and I'd certainly myself be a bit nervous about, particularly about doing debates for uh, something like Channel Four uh, News, who, you know, is is anchored by somebody who is deeply hostile to the Conservative Party. Why? Um, so, Why would you? Uh, I mean, surely uh, well, because, that's the point of, that's the point of politics, isn't it? Well, you take the them moment. on, you beat them. No, no, no. What, what they have committed to, I think all of the candidates, is once this gets to the membership, there will be hustings all around the country for the electorate, who are the membership of the party, uh, to take part in between those uh, top two candidates. But at the moment, the electorate are members of Parliament. We've had a number of hustings at which uh, Boris Johnson has already... Uh, appeared one run by the 1922 Committee this week, there was one by the One Nation Conservative Movement uh, last week. So the idea that he's been hiding away from his electorate, which is, at the present time is members of the Parliamentary Party, is just a load of rubbish, frankly.
4: Well, you can say that, but the problem is is that none of the members of the public can see it. And yes, the electorate is only uh, limited to Tory party members, but that just happens to be a nicety of the way that our democracy works. It does not mean it's a good thing, because if Boris Johnson becomes the Prime Minister of this country by winning this particular battle then he's Prime Minister of the entire country and is responsible and answerable to the entire electorate, not just the people who put him there.
5: Yeah, and he will be held accountable and answerable every single week at the dispatch box of the House of Commons, where the uh, democratically elected representatives of the people will be able to hold him to uh, a- account, as is um, uh, the uh, as is our democratic system. And similarly, eventually, he'll be held accountable uh, at a general uh, election. And uh, you know, the, 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 of course, he'll be uh, accountable to the media uh, as well in the various interviews he will do as Prime Minister. So, um, you know, I think there's. The, well he didn 't give the media acting.
4: many questions the last time he appeared in front of them.
5: Well, I think he gave more than some of the other uh, candidates who stood and after I was at the launch and you know what I found. Really I think it was six about questions, that. wasn't it? But what I found really bizarre about that was there were six questions asked, and I think four of them. Uh, and then I saw some of the write-ups saying, "Oh well, you know, of course." But, but what Boris didn't do was set out enough about policy. Well, the questions the media did have, uh, four of them decided to just keep banging on about stuff he may or may not have said in the past, which might uh, offend a few people in the uh, uh, in kind of that metropolitan bubble that I'm afraid ourselves as politicians often exist in. Um, but they didn't really take the opportunity to dive down deeply into policy issues well uh, what sort of policy yeah, does
4: wouldn't... what sort of policy does he have for example on the nhs
5: well i think he's been very clear he said that the uh, um that the nhs is one of his uh, key priorities as he said you know public services are and i think you saw that when he was mayor of london so he's, so you know, call very that a clearly, policy well very well yes the nhs is one because... of
4: my key policies
5: that's well, like well, Bill yeah, Clinton saying he wants to eradicate well, poverty. No, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. It goes beyond that because it's absolutely his support for the £20 billion record increase in funding uh, for the NHS, which the government has introduced, which is actually £370 million per week additional funding, which the government has already committed. Uh, so he's uh, very strongly supportive uh, of that and has been very clear that we need to, for example, on education, ensure that the school funding, uh, which is a big problem in an area such as mine where we're massively underfunded compared to other parts of the country. He's brought up to a minimum of £5,000 per pupil. He's been really clear about that. He's been really clear about uh, stop and search for the police and the need to do more uh, for police resources, which personally I'm very happy about as somebody who's been very uncomfortable with the reductions in police spending and hasn't voted for them over these last uh, nine years. So, uh, you know, he set out on public services. He talked a lot about social housing, uh, about affordable housing, uh, and his record as mayor at his launch. So, you know, he did go into a lot of these... Uh, he didn't talk much issues, about his,
4: uh, his policy as foreign minister, as foreign secretary, did he?
5: Well, he was pretty good, actually, uh, in many ways, as Foreign Secretary. But why I mean, didn't he mention anything at, that well, he'd achieved he while he was
4: Foreign Secretary? He
5: got, he got, he got um, uh, in response to the uh, uh, you know, actions of Russia, um, got uh, an unprecedented, I think, 28 countries to... Uh, take action against Russia on an international level. Did a lot uh, in terms of uh, his development. Of the Commonwealth expanded our missions uh, overseas to ensure that in the post-Brexit world we are properly resourced. Um, you know, from a diplomatic point of view, in emerging parts of the country uh, of the world, which are going to be important to us. So, it's a very good record. Would on he us,
4: support? Or, uh, uh, would he support the Americans if they were to begin some kind of action against Iran?
5: Uh, well, I, I actually I, I, I don't know that because obviously I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not actually on one of Boris's campaign team, uh, but actually as somebody who has consistently myself campaigned against the deal that was done with Iran, believing it to be uh, really, really very poor, I hope that he would look at the uh, Iran deal again. And we've seen only this week about how Iran is ratcheting up its enrichment of uranium. So I absolutely hope that he would look at that really um, Uh, insufficient deal that was struck between um, uh, uh, four countries and the... uh, uh, Well, the European Union Union. was very well
4: behind it. Listen, I know you haven't got so much time, Andrew. uh, Just to to
5: finish it up, what's his plan to
4: get another deal from Brussels? How is he expecting to manage to make that happen?
5: Well, I think if you look at the one thing that the House of Commons has absolutely 100% voted for uh, with a majority in in the last... um, Six to nine months on Europe. It has been the Brady Amendment, which, if you remember, was to mandate the Prime Minister to go back and say, "Look, we will uh, accept the term, most of the terms of the withdrawal agreement, but the one thing that absolutely has to be altered is the uh, Irish uh, backstop." Um, So I think that, if you look at the terms of that Brady Amendment, I think that will be, which did. Is the one thing that has commanded a majority in the House of Commons in this whole process. I think that will be the basis upon which he would go back to the European Union. Uh, and they, you know, and, and, and the European Union has a record of ruling things out before agreeing them. Uh, if only we have, uh, but what they've known this whole process is that um, we don't have the um, strength or the determination um, to carry through on any threats. Uh, And I think that with a different leader, that might be different. So we hopefully have a more reasonable... Uh, response from the other side this time.
4: OK. Andrew, thanks very much for your time. Andrew Percy, Conservative MP for Brig and Ghoul, uh, supports Boris Johnson, who of course uh, got by far and away the most votes yesterday uh, in the runoff in the first ballot, and the second ballot will take place on Tuesday. 114 votes, next closest was Jeremy Hunt with 43, Michael Gove 37, and everyone below that is out, unless they can get to the magic number of 33 by Tuesday. We'll take your calls next, 0344 499 1000. This is Talk Radio. Yeah. Now listen, I know we live in a time of flux, I know we live in a time of change, I know that we live in a time of broken politics as people keep telling us, but this Change UK thing really is getting ridiculous, okay? Change UK have been forced to change their name for a third time, okay? Originally they were known as the Independent Group, they then faced some legal action by a petition site change.org, then they had to change it uh, to the Independent Group for Change, but then they had some problem with their Twitter account, so they had to change it back to something else. In April, their registration as Change UK was accepted, but by the time the actual European elections came around, they didn't really have a logo, because that wasn't allowed to be put out there. And apparently now, they've had to change their name again, um, because they've included a hashtag. It's all very difficult to follow. But it doesn't really matter what Change UK is doing, because the guy who sort of started Change UK was Chuck Ramuna, and he's changed his party allegiance now uh, to become a Lib Dem. Now, this is very confusing for people like me because, you know, I'm only a part-time follower of politics and when somebody says, um, hashtag ChuckerPromise, promise, right, uh, that he will never ever join the Liberal Democrats, I wouldn't be caught dead in a yellow rosette. You kind of go, well, I suppose that means you'll never join the Lib Dems then. But he has. So let's talk to Joe Swinson, who's deputy leader of the Lib Dems, possibly the next leader of the Lib Dems, and find out what to make of it all. Joe, very good morning to you.
2: Good morning. Good to be with you, Mike.
4: Thank you very much for joining me. Now, I'm sorry for being slightly flippant there on the introduction, but, I mean, it's a bit difficult for people to follow all of this. I mean, I can understand fully that Chuck O'Ramoon had changed his mind and decided the Labour Party was no longer for him. Then he changed his mind and decided to, to launch the Change UK Party. He changed his mind again uh, to leave the Change UK Party, and now he's decided to change it one more time.
2: Uh, well, obviously, always good to hear that that song on the uh, on the radio. Um, <laughs> look, look... <laughs> This is a very volatile time in politics and I think it's a really hard time for people who are coming to the conclusion... You know, Not just Chuckka, but I've spoken to loads of people in the Labour Party and, and in the Conservative Party who have come to the conclusion that the party that they joined no longer speaks to their values. That in the case of the Labour Party, you know, it is uh, standing by when you know, anti-Semitism isn't challenged and that on the big issue of the day, Brexit, then Labour seems to be prepared to let that happen with all of the disastrous consequences for people in our country, including uh, the, the, the poorest and most vulnerable people in our country. And so it's hard for people when that happens to come to that conclusion and to leave a party. And, you know, joining a different party, you know, that, that's an additional kind of hurdle for people to get over mentally in their mind. And, you know, chucka with, you know, absolute good faith, thought that what the country needed was a new party and tried to make that work. What we know is that it is very difficult, particularly with our electoral system, to set up a new party in British politics. And so he's, he's you know, tried that. that it hasn't worked and i think to his credit has recognized that and said okay but my values and my mission still remains the same it is to stop brexit and to create more progressive better society and he's realised the way to do that is by joining the Liberal Democrats. Um, and Frankly, I mean, welcome.
4: listen, I, and I'm, I wouldn't be critical of him for doing that because I did say at the time that the independent group was formed, I said, uh, why don't they just all go and join the Liberal Democrats? As if they want to remain in the European Union, the Lib Dems are the one party that have always said that's what they want to do and have been very staunchly sort of uh, consistent on that.
2: And I think more people and more and more people are realising that the Liberal Democrats are the rallying point for people who share our liberal values, who are internationalist, who want to stay in the European Union. And we saw that with the European elections, where uh, we, we got our best ever results and we're very clearly the, the, the main party of Remain. We saw that with the local election results, where we made more than 700 gains. So I think it has taken a while for some people to to sort of understand that and some people have in, in very good faith kind of tried other approaches and tried to see how best to do this and it's just becoming really clear that, that people want to do that join the Lib Dems and I mean is not alone you know 20,000 people have joined the Liberal Democrats in the last five or six weeks so you know there's there's a, lo- there's a lot of people coming to the same conclusion and there will be many more I'm sure and you know people who share these values are welcome to join the Lib Dems and they're doing so every day Yes
4: but I'm curious as to how many of them actually ever said you can't trust Vince Cable and the Liberal Democrats, they broke their promises. Vince Cable can't run away from his record. Are you going to have to have a sort of pipe of peace talks between the two of them?
2: Well, Vince and Chaka get on very well, and they did during the years of coalition. And, you know, I certainly found, you know, I was a business minister and an over opposite Chucka, and, and, you know, we, we had a very you know cordial, you know, pleasant relationship, as actually often people do across party. But, you know, we understand the, the kind of the party political system and, um, and, and the attacks that, that come with that. This isn't about the past. This is about how do we solve the problems that our country is facing now and how do we bring people together so that we have the strength to fight against nationalism and populism, which are all on the rise and which threaten, you know, our security, our prosperity and the type of society we want to live in. Well, you and say that,
4: but not everybody be... agrees with that, Joe, because nationalism right. and populism to you are dirty words, but to some people they're not. There's nothing wrong with being proud of your own country. There's nothing wrong uh, with I, I think being... I that's very different There's nothing nationalism. wrong with... Well, hang on, that's your definition of nationalism. What's what's your definition of populism?
2: Well, I, I think... Somebody who's popular... It, I, no, I don't I don't think it is just that. I think I think it's about, you know, playing playing to the gallery and not being mindful of consequences. And, you know, we've seen that with leaders like Boris Johnson just being absolutely um reveling in causing offence with uh, with people. Um, you know, and, and including, you know, taking it out punching down is you know is what somebody like that does, you know. Um, you know, when punching you say down somebody like that, what do you mean?
4: Somebody like that. What do you mean?
2: Well, I mean, yeah, you know, the comments that he made, for example, about a uh, Muslim woman comparing them to letterboxd. No, but you refer to
4: him as somebody like that. I'm interested in what that means.
2: Well, there are other people who share a similar political philosophy to him who do the same thing. And those would be people like that as well. But that's
4: just as insulting as you what you're accusing him of doing. You're accusing Boris Johnson of being a part of something which you find obnoxious.
2: I disagree with Boris Johnson profoundly and I'll argue against that's fine. what he's but trying to do. But I think using do.
4: phrases like somebody like that oh, suggests like, that you're being think... pejorative about someone who went to public school, is in a position of privilege, is wealthy, and that's a secret message. It's a dog whistle. You know it very
2: well. No, I, I, I think you are being... Um, I think you're overreacting quite significantly there. Okay. Yes. Um Yes. And, and, you know, we're talking about somebody. I, you know, I do not have a lot of respect for Boris Johnson, right? You know, this is somebody who can't even be bothered to read his brief when there's a British woman languishing in an Iranian jail with her daughter who she hasn't seen for years, and he can't even be bothered when he was Foreign Secretary to get his facts straight in front of a select committee. So, you know, forgive me, I do do actually take issue with Boris Johnson and his fitness for high office. I take issue
4: with lots of things about Boris Johnson, but I wouldn't refer to him in the way that you did. That's all. That was my only point.
2: I mean, I really, if anyone listening genuinely thinks that saying someone like that... Is, is offensive, you know, I, I would be surprised. Uh, you know, okay. in politics, in politics, you, the, you know, there's frankly a lot worse. worse I'm not offended. About. I'm just
4: picking you up on it. Do you think it's okay for people like Joe Brand to make jokes about throwing acid on politicians?
2: Well, it's, it's absolutely not language that I would use. Clearly, you know, stand-up comedians have often gone close to the wire or beyond the wire and I think as politicians we have, um, we have a duty to be much more careful with our language Quite. and I think our political leaders ought to be respectful and I don't think that Boris Johnson is uh, in so many ways and he is not a stand-up comedian, right? So he's um,
4: certainly not th- that.
2: No, indeed. So look, I mean, I disagree with him. You're right when you say that not everybody listening will, will agree with me. I mean, that's fine. We, you know, We live in a democratic country. We can agree to disagree on issues and we can agree to keep fighting for the things that we believe in and standing true to the causes that we want to see achieved. And of course... You know, some people don't agree with me, but for the people that do agree with me, that they think we need a better alternative to nationalism and populism, then the message from Chuka Amuna's actions today is really clear. The thing to do is join the Liberal Democrats like so many thousands of other people, because that way we can bring people together, build a liberal movement and have a brighter future.
4: Don't you think that he also owes his constituents something, though? Given that he's changed his mind so many times now, should he not offer them a by-election to see whether they want to re-elect him to Parliament as a Lib Dem?
2: I don't think that's necessary. People are elected on the ballot paper as an individual member of Parliament. We also have elections at least...
3: Are you sure about that?
2: We have elections at least every five years. It might be this year. Who knows? It might be as long as 2022. And so, do you really think so Labour
4: won the Peterborough by election because everybody loved the new candidate so much?
2: Well, obviously people vote for for different reasons, uh, but I but I think that people do elect uh, an individual to serve. Um, and you know, we've got plenty of MPs, you know, who have left their parties, you know, including in Labour and somewhere like Sheffield Hallam, where, you know, uh, the MP got, you know, kicked out of the kicked out of the party and hasn't been doing a good job for his constituents, and, you know, there's not been a by-election in Sheffield Hallam. You know, is going to continue serving the uh, the, the people in, in Streatham to, you know, the best of his ability. He's going to continue standing up for them, and not least on the issue of Brexit, which is something that is going to affect all of our futures, and is uh, we're at this absolutely critical juncture, and so it's so important that we are united in fighting to keep our place in the European Union.
4: And finally, Joe, when Boris Johnson does become Prime Minister, because it looks as if he will be, um, what are you going to do then?
2: I'm going to take him on. I mean, I, you know, what, what he says absolutely needs challenging and I think our country deserves much better. So I'm hoping that by that point I'm going to be leader of the Liberal Democrats and rallying this Liberal movement against him.
4: Yes, when is that uh, the sort of thing that all happening with Lib Dems? When will you become leader? Um, I'd like, it's... I'd like you to be the next leader.
2: Unless unless, unless Chucker
4: stands up against you, of course.
2: It it is too late, unfortunately, for you to join the Lib Dems if you want to vote for me. I do not join political
4: parties. I'm totally neutral in these matters.
2: Fair enough. Look, it's um, it's scheduled to be announced on the twenty third of July, okay. so uh, not very long to wait.
4: Excellent. We we'll look forward to it, Joe. Thank you very much indeed, Joe Swinson. There, deputy leader of the Lib Dems, possibly soon to be the next leader of the Lib Dems. Uh, John says this: Chuka has switched political parties more times more times than he switched energy suppliers. <laughs> I think that's probably right. You switch. He should be called Chucker You switch Amuna. Uh This is Talk Radio.
1: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh,
4: welcome back, Katie. But I'd also like to issue a welcome to Andy Cunningham. Andy, uh, welcome to the Independent Republic, Morning, and Thank thanks you. for coming in. Uh, tell us um, about Light for Life first of all. That's a company that you're associated with and which is involved in in fire safety. Because when we all watched what happened at Grenfell, I think none of us could quite believe one how quickly the fire took hold, two how many terrible. Uh, situations happened where people couldn't get out and how many people perished as a result of that?
6: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I set Light for Life up about four years prior to Grenfell happening um, as a low-level evacuation uh, light that could trigger in fire uh, uh, fire activation. Ordinarily, lights on the ceiling or emergency lights will uh, uh, never come on in fire activation. So um, so nothing happens to them. So, but in, in, in smoke logging, in com- common corridors, that's the biggest risk. Mm. So I've looked at low-level evacuation strategies to give people the best of chances to get out of their buildings. And
4: also part of the problem seems to me that the fire doors didn't work properly, there were no sprinklers in the building. We know the cladding was, was obviously ridiculously inflammable as well. I mean, in your view, not enough is being done. There's too many buildings like Grenfell at this moment in time. A couple and-
6: of hundred, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. We need to look at a holistic approach to it also. Um, I know there's manufacturers going on about their fire doors and uh, fire alarm systems, but we need them all in place, everything. We need the compartmentation uh, in place in the buildings, no good paying £1,200 for a door set. A fire door set, and you've got a um, you've got a wall structure that's like a Swiss cheese. Right. Um, it's not going to work. So you need to have the robust systems, robust solutions, um, in place so it it mitigates all the risk and it protects the residents. That's the biggest point is protecting the residents. Sure.
4: And there's a lot of money involved. Katie, you've been in government, and and when governments asked to do something like this. We've done stories on this, this problem before, there's there's an argument about whether it's central government, whether it's local government. We've also talked about on this show before freehold and leasehold problems where owners of buildings won't put the cladding on or won't fix the fire problems. What's, what, what, can the gov- what should the government be doing that it's not doing?
7: The, the government's doing quite a lot in terms of freeing up hundreds of millions of pounds to people that privately own their flats but are trapped now. They're trapped in kind of mortgage hell because they can't sell that flat mm. because it's not worth anything because it's dangerous. Right. So the government is saying, well, you know, we've had a big row. Your private owners, the freeholders of that flat are not willing to pay for it. It's not fair on you as a resident. So we're going to try and give you the money to be able to pay for that back. So they're doing quite a lot with private developers. But a lot of this stuff in government is recommendation. It is, we recommend you do this. Well, when you get a choice between recommendation and doing it, people, if it costs money, they won't do it because it's only a recommendation. And, you know, the time and time again, when people say, oh, we'll get away with that, we, you know, why should people be in a scenario where we're just doing stuff because we can get away with it? It's clearly, two years later, not safe.
4: Right. Well, the problem is, Andy, that presumably
6: Grenfell could happen again somewhere else. Uh, definitely, most definitely. I've got no, no doubts about that. And that's, um, you know, that's a, a statement I'd like not to make, mm. but I, I believe it could. It's, One of the um, things
4: that I've always been astonished about when you look at buildings in this country is that having lived in New York City for quite a long time, um, everywhere you w- you went, pretty much, there was a fire escape of some description that you could use, or, or a set of stairs. I mean, even the World Trade Centre, there were stairs that were... People survived the World Trade Centre collapse because the stairways were constructed in such a way that if you were on them at the time, you could actually live through it. Well, Whereas some of these built I mean, Grenfell didn't have... A proper a sort of escape
6: staircase, even no, def- uh, definitely not. Um, singular staircases are massive problems in high-rise buildings because you can't turn your back on the fire and get at, get out anywhere else. Right. However, in the world, world Trade Center, I know for a half three and a half thousand people died. However, they had staircase management systems, they had low-level photoluminescent um, evacuation strategy, low-proximity strategies that w- would um, would light up in the in the darkened area right. and and the historic statement was follow the, the yellow brick road. Right. So from your point of view, it's obvious that, that one of the biggest kind of
4: problems when
6: there is a fire... Is
4: that you can't see no, effectively. No. And so right. without light of any kind, no, you're literally no. blind.
6: Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you It's pitch black, it's rendered all the um, high level um, lighting ineffective. Uh, that's the terminology of it. So we must adapt, I believe, um, from other more highly re- regulated industries. So we're looking at aviation, oil, marine, military, gas, nuclear industries that have got high, more highly regulated fire strategies. Mm. So why can't do do the residents not deserve to have these in these high rise um, high rise blocks?
7: I mean, I think that's a really good point. But also, you know, I, I discovered a couple of months ago that. You know, housing associations and councils across the country, they're employing physical human beings to sit on each floor of a high-rise flat 24 hours a day because they that, that's the only way they can truly believe what, it's like they a can fire spot officer fires. Or something. Yeah, like a fire officer. Right. So it's costing them millions of pounds. I think that's probably topped 100 million quid. Uh, in the last year. Now, think about how many houses hundred million quid could buy. Mm. It's not a long stay- long-term sustainable option, really. So we need to look at and think about, right, what can we do? It's lovely that some of these people got jobs to sit on a flat floor all day. But of course, those residents are now kind of, used to having someone watching all day long, which is lovely, but we don't get that everywhere else. We no. don't, with the luxury of having almost like a security guard on every floor of a flat, they're not going to be necessarily willing to let them go, but you can't pay for that forever. It's ridiculous amounts of money. So what's the solution? That's the, you know, the long, we need to think about long-term solutions to these problems. They're not easy to fix.
4: So who are you working with, Andy, or who are you talking to, to try and get what it is that you think should be done, actually done?
6: Yeah, we're we're talking to um, uh, local authority councils. We're talking to housing associations. We've got lots of ideas. I mean, to be fair, we've got um, we've got our products into the um, BBC. But to to me, it's not about the products. It's about the resident safety. Um, you know, we've got adaptive solutions, adaptive systems. We can we we can create anything we want to create at low level. We must start looking at low level um, wayfinding systems. I believe to give these these people. In these buildings, the best chance is getting out in a smoke-filled environment.
4: And, Katie, if anyone is listening to this and they're in a place where they think they should be getting better protection or better kind of fire safety around where they live, what what can they do? I mean, should they approach their local authority? Should they go to their MP? Is Is there a sort of committee that's been set up?
7: It's really, really hard, really hard to actually um, go anywhere and complain about it or do anything. So um, I would complain to your local councillor. I was a councillor for 12 years and this would be the kind of thing that I would expect to get in. I'd go to your local MP, I'd write to the government, I'd write to whoever's going to be the new Secretary of State for Housing to say that we need more. We need to push forward. But, you know, I just think that the fire safety industry, it sounds to me like it's kind of like, you know, 30 years in the dark. It's not embracing technology. It's not educating people and telling them, you know, lots of people that live in flats don't necessarily speak english as a first language so really we need to be t- talking to them and educating them in a way that they understand mm. because if you park a buggy outside a flat or a mobile or a, a like you know a mobility scooter that's fine but if everyone does that that prevents people getting out of the building alive right. and that's a difference and so you know we'd like you to fold that up because actually it makes the the, the stairway you know clearer that kind of education we need to be communicating with people at the moment truthfully we don't even know who lives in these flats no
4: i mean it sounds to me hmm. andy that there's a great deal of sort of um uh just disinformation and misinformation and there's no real one central place to go as it were, to coordinate all of this because no, even from the from the argument of putting a sprinkler system in, you know, it seems as though some people are in favour of it, some people are not, there's not really the money being made available for it, I don't know what your view is of sprinklers but I mean it seems better to have them than not, doesn't
6: it? Yeah, absolutely, sprinklers have got a, um, uh, got a place in the industry, I've got no doubts about it, however there's a lot of resistance from it there's a lot of resistance from the insurers I believe, um, dumping 50,000 gallons of water onto a, um, onto a tower block, they're picking up water damage I and mean, you know, all the flats under Underneath. Um, well, it's, it's fair rid- than having to pick up dead bodies, though. Isn't no, it? absolutely, without a doubt. But equally, I was going to go on to say about risk profiling of people. So, not only do we assess our buildings for fires or fire risk assessments, we must assess the people behind them. Kate is totally right. Um, we're looking at infirm, elderly, disabled, deaf, blind people. We've got some real issues in these in these high-rise blocks mm. and knowing who's be- behind the doors and how we're going to get them out I in mean, fires. Grenf-
7: Grenfell showed load of subletting didn't it? So yeah. we, didn't, we didn't have a clue who mm. was in that building. No. And you know, you don't know that on the, 80th, the 18th floor, someone needs to be gone and got because right. they can't get out themselves. Mm. Or you, you know, you don't know that there's a hoarder on the 14th floor, so their flat's going to go up twice as quick as anybody else because yeah. they've got rooms and rooms full of stuff. So that's the kind stuff we need to know, and it seems to be just seems to be so difficult for us to get our act together as a nation to be able yeah. to do this. And yet, in places like New York, it was a terrible tragedy. But you know, months afterwards, they kind of drastically changed their rules yeah. and procedures. And I don't seem to think feel that Britain is getting moving quick enough.
4: No, it doesn't really. I mean, is the long term um, solution to all of this handy that they just get rid of all these high rise blocks and they demolish them? I mean, there are plenty of high rise blocks going up in London. Literally across the river from here, you know, very very high maintenance. You know, there's one just down the road, one Blackfriars, thirty two million it will cost you for the penthouse. I'm pretty sure you bought right?
6: I'm pretty sure you get out of that alive, wouldn't I, you? That's a great point, Mike. I I sit on the uh, tall buildings uh, fire fire safety group, and I've looked at the the plans or the planning application for. Uh, high rise along the Thames, and uh, I believe by twenty, thirty, 2030 or twenty thirty-five, the Shard is dwarfed by twelve buildings. Right. So we we are just going up in the air because we have to, and um, it's great that we can sit sit together internationally, look at the standards, look at the best way to fight these fires and to get people out. It's more important to get the people out, the protection of the residents or the people in the building than the buildings themselves. The insurers may not agree with me, but it's all about the resident protection. Sure, I think that's absolutely right. Well, Andy, listen, I wish you luck.
4: Thank you so much. It's a shame that we have to talk about the fact that not enough is being done, but all we can do is just keep pressurising them, I guess. Katie, one final question for you just about Brexit... Um, You said to me last time we spoke about the kind of uncertainty that was being felt in the business community. Um, What's what's the mood at the moment? Are they kind of looking forward to there being a new change in the the Prime Minister in the hopes that something might happen?
7: I think that that is broadly where they are, of course, business owners are worried about no deal. They will always be worried about that. But they have had more time to prepare. And they just need a breakthrough. The kind of feedback I was starting to get from CEOs of kind of FTSE 100, FTSE 250 companies, is that we just need to know what's going on. We don't really care so much about the deal anymore we we just care that we've got this instability and during that instability people have to make five to ten year business decisions and what they're doing is they're opting out of the uk because they don't know what what decision to make Mm. so even if we said look you know the likelihood is we are moving towards a no deal i'm obviously i am anti no deal but it would at least give the business community some kind of direction about where we're heading yesterday the market stayed remarkably calm when boris johnson kind of led the way and so i actually think that it's resilient
4: and a bit of breaking news for you, Boris Johnson apparently is saying that he's more than happy to do a BBC TV debate on Tuesday.
7: Good, because I'll be in live in the studio commenting. Oh,
4: well there you go. Excellent <laughs> stuff. And you're doing a show here on Sunday, I am. You? Looking forward to it. 10 till 1. 10 till 1. Don't miss it. Katy Perry returns. Andy, thank you so much for coming in. More well than welcome. Uh, thank and you And we'll much. keep the pressure up. Anything you need hmm. from us, uh, please tell us and we'll get it from somebody uh, and pass it on. Uh, this is the thank Independent you. Republic of Mike Graham. The Perry Awards coming up shortly. This is uh, Talk Radio.
2: Across the UK,
1: online and On DAV The Independent Republic of Mike Graham On Talk Radio
4: It's 12.33, it's Friday, it's time for this
8: Ladies and gentlemen Welcome to the Perrier Awards
4: letting the music go a little further this time because I've never heard it go this far yeah and it feels like it's new now how yeah. I like new music <laughs> Tom Mendes is here of course to present a Paris slightly different uh, this week I understand not least because I wasn't here for three days and uh, my very able colleague Mr John Nicholson uh, stood in my stead mm. why are you smirking I'm not smirking you look like you're smirking no okay. I'm just struggling no smirking no I'm struggling if anything okay Um, there's no change there then now have you read this prior to coming in here to read it
3: yeah have you no no alright let's go then shall we let's go oh yes uh, sorry I expected some audio there but obviously there isn't any well you have to Uh, introduce the audio sorry yeah yeah Yeah. no it's my mistake yeah Uh, Welcome once more to the Perrier Awards. This Thank is you. where we go back over the past week of the so-called Republic so of called independent Republican Mike Graham yeah. and choose our favourite moments. But as Mike had said, slightly different this week. As the Mike early was two, away. Two
4: fifths of it, really. Yeah,
3: Mike was away for the majority of the week, which has led to this the Perrier Showdown. Excellent. Yes, it's Mike Graham versus John Nicholson, the Independent Republic versus an Independent Scotland. Who will come out on top and who will be left with milkshake on their face, or if you're Joe Brand, battery acid? Uh, let's find out. Mike, um, the first award, as is I'm tradition, it goes to you. Uh, I planned uh, this one when you first told me you were going away to the States. You've once again won Repeater of the Week. Thank you. It is
4: great to be back in the big chair after a brief sojourn across the pond uh, to check on our American brothers and sisters. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. I'm back from America. I was in Connecticut seeing my mother, seeing my sister, uh, seeing my daughter. It was great fun. Uh, I'm back, though... Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. I've missed being here. You know, I have to say, it's very nice to be back from America. A guy tweeted me this morning and says, going to get a pound for every time you mention you've been in America? Well, no, you can't. Uh, but I'm going to mention it probably from time to time. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. I'm here. I'm back from being away. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody for uh, all of your very thoughtful tweets to welcome me back. I'm not going to mention America too much because I know people get a bit wound up about it.
3: Yeah, thanks for not doing that. Yeah,
4: thanks very much. You see, I have no idea that I'm even doing that.
3: Yeah, well, yeah. it's fine. It's fine. Uh, John Nicholson now uh, speaking to Chloe Wesley from the Taxpayers Alliance. He wins cattiest comment of the week. Mm. That's not the way it works. The Scotland Department,
8: the Northern Ireland Department, none of these departments have to work out how to do that.
2: No, but but do you understand how um, having saying I, yeah, that we've I'm got your spend
3: Ooh. Mm. Mm. That is a bit catty, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Wow. Uh, back to your show now, Mike. Caller Paul in London. He wins nickname of the week. Let's talk to Paul, who's in London. He wants to talk about Joe Brown.
5: Hi, Paul. Hi, Michael Bean. How are you?
3: Old Bean. Old Bean. Is I that be you knew? That,
4: that for a while. The
3: independent republic of Old Bean. Yeah, it didn't work, does it really? No. Uh, it Paul uh, also won the weirdest comment of the week. Do you know what I mean? They don't like, like they, Boris they, Johnson, they, they, though, do they? They don't like
5: Boris, <laughs> yeah, but he's going to be their metaphorical
1: father soon. And to have someone say that.
3: Yeah,
4: well, old being a metaphorical father, there's this kind of theme emerging yeah.
3: there, isn't there? Yeah, it's weird Thanks, saying Bob. that uh, Boris will be everyone's metaphorical father. I mm. mean, with his history, of course, Steady. there's a good chance there'll be his biological father. Be the next prime minister, so <laughs> yeah. I'd be careful with uh, the libel there. Uh, no, I'm joking, of course. Of course you uh, are, that's jo- all right then. <laughs>
4: Yes, that's fine if you tell
3: a joke about it. That's easily done. Oh, let's not get into that. Yeah. Uh, John Nicholson and his accent won the Perry Award for the Almost Swear of the Week. Hello, a very good afternoon to you. It is three minutes past
8: twelve and you're listening to John Nicholson here on Talk Radio. Just looking out of the window, it's a grey day in London. There's sh- actually sheets of rain. <laughs> <laughs> Which
4: window is he looking out? Because if he's looking out the other side, you, you know, that could have been another
2: conversation.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, he also wins a semi-regular semi award for Tangent of the Week for this uh, beginning to an interview about the cross-party motion to stop a no-deal Brexit. Would be, well,
8: Adam Sagan, Sigan Sigan, Sigan. I'll ask, Professor in EU Law at the University of Leicester, joins me now in the line. Adam, a very good morning to you good morning Jason. Thanks and could you correct or otherwise my pronunciation? The the, the correct name is is Sigan. Sigan? Oh that's interesting, where's that name from? That's actually a Polish name. Is it? It's a Polish name. Would yes. it, and uh, was that the full Polish name or has it been shortened? Uh, <laughs> no, it, it, it's, a, it's, a full, it's a full Polish name. Yeah. Oh, it's,
5: it's, no. one of the, it's one of the easier Polish names to pronounce. Yes,
8: because mostly they've got Ski, off ski or whatever at the end of them, don't they?
5: They have a lot of RZs and FZs yeah. in them as well, which makes a tongue twister. let's move
8: on. Yes. yes, well, I'm a bit hard of Polish, so yeah. I always I always find them a, a bit, uh, a bit You're tough. You're supposed to be producing anyway, to Yeah, I'm in screaming in his ear at this.
3: (laughs) point (laughs) just go get on with it (laughs) you've been to Gdansk (laughs) Um, well let's take a brief trip uh, to the breakfast show now Uh, this happened while you are away Uh, the guest star on the show was um uh, education secretary damien hines uh well at least we fought a technical issue with a telephone uh meant that ken hines a stop and search campaigner was called instead it wins technical error of the week
2: uh, in his press conference but uh, supporting him is uh, education secretary damien hines good morning to you damien Sorry. Good, good morning are you there I just Ken, Ken. No, no. We seem to have some sort of problem on that line. I'm not sure Damien can hear me, uh, but uh, we'll do our best to uh, to get him on. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, but this is the interesting thing. I mean, the, the it's quite clear from a lot of the newspapers.
4: That's that's awful. Poor Julia. That's yeah, dreadful, I it? know. Can you yeah. Damien's been kidnapped and been replaced by a bloke <laughs> called Ken.
3: Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously we can look back on it and laugh now. Must have been horrendous at the time. Mm, yeah, but it's funny in hindsight. Yeah, hindsight. See what you did there. And whilst we're on the breakfast show, uh, let's take a trip over to a different one yeah. uh, Talk Sport. Very happy to uh, birthday to Alan Brazil, who turns 60 oh, yeah. tomorrow. It's coming
4: from a pub today,
3: I think. Yeah, it? or a coffee sh- Yeah, definitely a pub, it was a of pub, course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Mike, you got a mention this Didn't morning. I? Yes, and therefore, Alan wins Insult of the Week.
6: I'm incredibly grateful for all the support that I've received
3: throughout this campaign. Oh, that's the wrong clip, isn't that it? That doesn't sound
4: like Alan Brazil in a pub. I mean, yeah. you know, is that Ken that, Hines Ken again? Hines behind there? <laughs> you see, you've fallen
3: prey... I step out of that you've control fallen, room you've for fallen, two minutes. You've,
4: fall, you've fallen prey to the um, the Karma Award of the week, yeah. having taken the mickey out of some other poor production assistant. You've now I'm just waiting. introduced the wrong clip.
3: Yeah, well... Have well, we got the right one? That's not even a correct clip for this section, is so, it? No. All right. Okay, let's hear it. Insult of the week.
6: Yeah, There's one for you. Talk
8: Sports, Mike Graham. Mike Graham Mike Graham would be. Parry's older than me, and Parry and Graham are not talking at the moment. It's great. Enough. They're not no? talking. Oh! Mike Graham
5: but, will be slightly younger than you,
8: Um He was up in Scotland
4: as an editor, wasn't he, in Edinburgh? Uh, Mike Graham, he looks older than me, but is he
8: older? <laughs> Mike Graham, James Max, is he older than me? Mike Graham? I would go. You're
6: not going to believe this.
8: He is older than
6: me. He's 58. Yes, is he? that's what I said. Yeah, I said 58. What
8: yeah.
5: were well, them bags in his eyes? You're joking. <laughs> <laughs>
6: He's got a couple of suitcases
4: under his eyes, not mean, bags. That's another one for the old hunchback in Notre Dame <laughs> quote, isn't it? Being told by Alan Brazil that you look bad is a bit like uh, the old hunchback in Notre Dame telling you to stand up straight.
3: <laughs> uh, back Thanks to, Al yeah, Happy birthday Back to you Mike uh, You win best summary of this show now, We like to sort of come up with
4: solutions here On the Talk Radio <laughs> if we can Some of which are very simplistic And obviously hmm. unworkable <laughs> <laughs> Well I mean you know There's nothing wrong with admitting Sometimes they no. are a little bit simple
3: uh, No I like it um, And finally yeah. At the end of this big showdown It's down of the week The important one And who does it go to? Who? John Nicholson.
8: Oh. I love getting calls, texts and uh, tweets. I've got, uh, I've got one, oh, a lovely one here from Robert Donk. I don't think that's your real name, uh, Mr. Donk. Hashtag stand up for Brexit. It says, hurry back, Mike, get this whining, boring Scottish and the next word <laughs> begins with T and I cannot possibly read it out because it's rude uh, but get him off air. Well, don't, you don't have to worry. Uh, Mike is back on tomorrow morning, actually, so you'll be able to uh, agree with him about absolutely everything. <laughs> <laughs> Well I must say I take my hat off to John because he did get quite a bit of abuse uh, which
4: he didn't deserve only because I wasn't here which is not really fair so thank you John I take my hat off to
3: you and thank you for being so magnanimous Hmm, about the tweets Yeah you can hear him again on Drive today I believe and definitely on Sunday There you go Uh, That's it for the Perrier Awards Thank God Super Um, uh, There'll be more uh, next week Thank you
8: The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio